I have a belief that if I give back in some form to the cancer community, somebody that is going through cancer, however my life gets me to that person or event, as long as I can give back, I feel like I will survive it. I will survive it. When cancer enters your life, things get real very quickly. Patrick Norris is a television director who in 2003 was diagnosed with stage 3 non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. In today's episode, Patrick recounts the central role his wife Jody played in helping him get through treatment and how he ended up wearing the same comforting shirt during each of his chemotherapy infusions. Patrick talks about losing his sobriety of 18 years during chemotherapy and his subsequent search for meaning and purpose by connecting with others who are in treatment for cancer and providing them with a measure of comfort and hope. I'm Diane McDaniel, and this is Real Cancer. Thank you, Patrick, for coming in to talk with me today. Pleasure. Honored to be here. So I know your own experience with cancer took place quite some time ago, but I'd like to begin by having you just tell us a bit about yourself, your cancer diagnosis, and then the treatment that you underwent. It, it was a while ago. It was in March uh, 2003. I was diagnosed with a non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. It had been discovered by myself. I had been misdiagnosed for about six to nine months by my family doctor about what was going on with my body. So I was doing treatments for other things and uh, exploring other tests to find out what was wrong with me, but everybody seemed to have been missing this cancer. I'd been in the emergency room a couple times with x-rays, they've missed it. My own doctor, like I said, missed it. And I was sent for a sinus scan in Santa Monica, and I'd gone for that scan in good faith. And then I saw a pamphlet on the counter that talked about these full body scans they were now doing. And why were you doing the nasal scan? Because they thought there was a post-nasal drip that was causing the discomfort in my chest. Okay. And I stayed open to that theory until I realized one day at work in my office, I had more medication than Keith Richards of the Rolling Stones sitting on my desk and I wasn't getting better. I'm reading his book right now, so oh. I have a sense of what you're talking about. <laughs> exactly. So I had nasal sprays. I had everything to combat what they thought I was going through. So I had seen this pamphlet on the counter of the place I went for my test. And I said, I'd really like to do this test. It was just instinctive. It was in the moment. And the technician said that I have the machine, but I would have to pay for it because it wasn't ordered for me. And I said, great, let's do that instead of the sinus thing. So I had uh, done the test and the scan. And then later that day, I got a call from the place and they asked me to come back because they wanted to do it with a uh, dye. Mm-hmm. They wanted to see what was going on in there. And with I the thought- contrast. Yeah, the contrast. And I thought that was kind of unusual, but I said, sure. So I came back later in the afternoon, I did it with contrast. And then that night, my doctor called me and said, you need to get to Cedars fast. And I said, really? And he said, yeah. He said, you have a 
tumor pressing against your aorta oh. in your chest. Wow. Great news. So I, at the time I was filming a television show and I was supposed to shoot the next day. So I had called my producer and said, you need to replace me. Yeah, well, first of all, being in Hollywood, first thing I said, well, can't this thing wait? I'm making a very important TV show. And my doctor said, absolutely not. So I got replaced and I went into Cedars where I had an exploratory surgery down into my sternum mm. to find out what was going on. And the next morning, they had taken the biopsy and had discovered that I had this massive tumor wrapped around all these important organs, and it was inoperable, basically. So then they were going to test the tumor and see what it was, and it turned out to be uh, lymphoma, wow. non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, which uh, even now when I think about it, I was just numb. I, I, I didn't know what to say, that now where does that take me in my life? Right. Later on, the next couple of days, we were sent to hear about my tumor at a doctor. I, I forget his name, uh, creepiest guy I ever met in my life. And there was a clock on the wall and it was ticking. And my wife and I were sitting there as he was reading the re report. He looked up and said, you have stage three non-Hodgkin's lymphoma hmm. and it's inoperable. And it was in inoperable because of its location or because of the kind of cancer that it is? Because of its location, it had intertwined itself around some vital organs in my, my sternum mm -hmm. and veins. And, you know, again, it was connected right to the aorta. So it was a very sketchy kind of, even if it was an operation, it'd be very sketchy if I'd survive it. Sure. He had a whole protocol for us, and we were, my wife and I were both overwhelmed at the time. So after getting the news, we thought, you know, just give us a couple of days to figure this out, and we'll figure out what kind of oncologist or who we want to go to to deal with me. Mm -hmm. And I have to say, my wife turned in, uh, Jody had turned into the point person mm -hmm. at that moment. I had shut down completely. Right. I didn't know where to go with this. So I really, really relied on Jody to help guide me. She was my Eskimo to get me to the right person right. to take care of us. Mm. A few days later, we met with Dr. Barry Rosenblum at Cedars Oncology. And Dr. Rosenblum had done all the tests to check to see if it was in my bone and all that stuff. Again, I'm, I've left the planet. Right. So I'm just walking through wherever anybody wants me to go. So with my uh, guide, Jody, she uh, got me into berries and we broke down everything that what the possibilities were. And his, his feeling was to pump me full of as much chemotherapy as he could. And hopefully he wouldn't kill me before the cancer killed me. Mm -hmm. That's how big of a fight it was in his mind's eye. Yeah. So that was, that was, again, numbing news to me. Of course. Because now at this point in my life, I have to turn it all over to Barry. Barry is my new God. Barry is my new person mm. in life. Right. Um, He's going to either get you through or not. Well, that's the thing. And I think for me, that was the big surrender of my life, was just turning my life over to Barry Rosenblum and Cedars. Because I didn't have any other choices. Mm -hmm. No other choices. So the idea was that I was going to do 12 rounds, three weeks apart of chemotherapy, mm -hmm. uh, which would last for 
eight to 10 hours a day and I, I got the full breakdown and, and I was like, okay, let's go, you know, mm-hmm. let's do this. And Jody and I, we, I don't know, brought us so close together. We were very close anyways, but this brought us together in so many ways. And, and what I figured out in a way that was really hard for my relationship was that my relationship couldn't fix me as bad as my relationship wanted to fix me. It had to be so frustrating for her hmm. to not be able to fix me, Yeah, you know, in this illness. So we had to kind of let go of our our bond of we can fix each other, take care of each other. And she had to release me to this world of chemotherapy as well. Right. So then it was just about how do we survive this next stage? You have kids, you have a family, you have responsibilities, and now you've been telling you're going to go do this new adventure of chemotherapy. Mm. Obviously, you were very concerned about your your life, and I'm sure you were concerned about your your family. What were you thinking about at the time? What What was most difficult for you? I think what was most difficult for me was the reaction of everybody around me in my world that you have cancer. Oh my God, you have cancer. I'm so sorry. Chickens started to come at night and, you know, things like that. People were cooking us meals and and all this stuff. And my community wanted to save me Mm -hmm. so bad, but there was nothing they could do. But they they were helpful in, in bringing me things and stuff. But... The hardest part for me was to watch everybody around me freak out, so to speak. Mm. And and when somebody looks at you from across the room, and I'm sure people with cancer can identify with this, and they give you that sad look of, oh, my God, you have cancer. And everybody knows that look who's gone through cancer. Sure. That is not helpful to me, <laughs> you know, because it put me in a place of like, oh, I'm, I'm screwed, mm, yeah. you know, as opposed to maybe like coming at me with more of a positive of you're going to beat this. You're going to get this. Mm-hmm. We are going to support you and get you through this. Mm. Uh, and that was there, but nobody knows what to do. Nobody knows what to do. There's no like real handbook, you know. You, and I think that people want different things as well. Everybody wants different things. And more people wanted to talk to me about it. And more people wanted to give me their doctor. And it, it became very confusing. And what I decided I would do as a person is I have my trusty cohort, Jody next to me. I will trust her for the appointments and getting me to where I need to go because she's very good at that. And then I'll take the road of letting go and following the protocol that I'm given Mm -hmm. and just let go. Don't control it. Don't look at it at the Internet. Don't try to second guess the doctor. I won't try to get nine opinions or whatever. I will put my life into the hands of my oncologist. Mm -hmm. And that was a great surrender for me. It took all the pressure off of any kind of research I would have to do in the future. Clearly, the feedback that you were getting from your body was positive, right? Because you didn't, you didn't feel like you needed to take another path. Did did you have a sense that you were getting better, or, or did I you just feel so cruddy from chemo that you had no sense of anything? 
The one thing that, that was fearful were the words cancer and chemo, because being a child of the 60s and the development stages of new chemotherapies and seeing people go through cancer, it was a ticket to death. The word cancer meant death. Uh, when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. Very rarely did anybody make it through cancer that I ever heard of as a kid. But the medicines and the research has come so far in helping people save their lives and prolong their lives. I had to get past those to that combination of cancer and death and just keep on trucking. Yeah. What did you find helped you to, to do that, to keep on trucking? What were some of the things that that were helpful? I'm a different bird. I uh, I didn't want to talk to anybody about it. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to talk to anybody about it. I didn't want opinions of what I should do. Anything I did, I wanted the guidance of my oncologist and my spouse, Jody, and, and just keep it there. I, I didn't want to go out any farther I didn't want to go to cancer support groups. I didn't want to go to all that. What what had happened is I had just come out of Alcoholics Anonymous for 18 years. I've been I was sober, mm-hmm. completely sober. So I was very clear and straight when all this happened and came down. And uh, so when I started chemotherapy, my first chemo basically kicked my ass. Uh, I got very sick, very ill, and he did exactly what he said. He pumped me full of so much stuff. Again, a new frontier. I had no idea how to prepare myself, what to think about. Somebody had told me that when you're in chemotherapy, you tend to get cold and you tend, your body changes temperature a little bit while those drugs are running through your veins. Sure. So I went to my closet and I had a really cozy shirt that I'd gotten a year or two before. So I took the shirt with me and I had, it was like a cozy blanket. I had, I had taken that shirt and I had wrapped it around my wife before my first chemo and I had gotten her energy in it and her spirit in it and I thought, you know, if I could just sit with her, because usually when you bring somebody, they sit across and watch you or they do a crossword puzzle while you're going through your thing or whatever. If I could just have a piece of her on me mm-hmm. when I was going through this, that would be my strength for the day. Right. So that's what I did. I wore that shirt and I just felt so connected to my wife the person who was walking me through this. Right. It, it was incredible. It was like having a teddy bear. Right. So you were able to sort of bring her into brought, your treatment. I brought her into my experience, and I was able to let go. I was able to think about positive things and different kind of positive energies about my life and not worry about my life. And I think one of the things that had to do with it was the idea that I brought this person who was so close to me with her feeling, and I'm an old hippie, you might say, I believe in good vibes and all that. And I had her vibes in this garment that was wrapped around me. And I thought, wow, you know, this is, this is going to be okay. Yeah. This is going to be okay. In the process, like I said, I was, I was sober for 18 years at the time and stuff. And during my second chemo, I'd gotten very, very ill and my hair was all blown out and, you know, falling out and, I had really long hair at the time. And I just want to clear up on this one thing because this is where I ended up losing my sobriety from AA. One of my wife's friends had brought me a joint to smoke during chemotherapy. And she said, my friend went through this. You should try this. Mm -hmm. I had 18 years of sobriety. I wasn't going to go there, you know. 
one morning I was really sick. I was in the bathroom. I was laying down and my 10-year-old daughter just, I was hiding upstairs whenever I had chemo so my kids wouldn't see what I was going through because I'd be on IVs and all that. I was laying on the floor, sicker than a dog, and my 10-year-old walked in and she asked me if I was going to live. Mm. And the question actually was, are you going to die, Daddy? Oh. And I looked up at her and it was so, it was mm. so harsh to hear that come from her. And I, because I didn't think about that because I was on this road to survival. Mm. I thought about it and I thought, you know, I'm, I'm never going to let her see me this sick again. So I ended up trying. By the way, I answered the question, I'm not sure, but I'm planning to be here for a while. And she was cool with that. So I ended up smoking the weed mm-hmm. to help with my nausea. And man, it took away my, I took two hits off this joint. It ended up taking my nausea away that I'd been fighting with all these nausea drugs and stuff. And I took it away within like 40 seconds. Mm-hmm. And I'd been sick for days. Right. I made a conscious effort that I was no longer in a program of, of AA or 12-step program based on using or drinking. I don't drink, uh, and I wasn't drinking or using, but it, it's an honest program, and you know you don't drink or use no matter what. So I had to abandon that whole plan and get it with a new plan that was going to be comfortable for my life and what I was going through. And that helped me. That helped me through the nausea. So anyways, I went through all my treatments at chemo, and then I was faced with uh, six months of uh, radiation on a daily basis Oh yeah. after that. And that was like going to Starbucks, you know, I was in and out, get it seven million volts to the chest and go about my day. So I was able to work once I got back to radiation. I couldn't work for chemo. You'd been through that hard chemo experience and so the radiation. Oh, I was welcoming the radiation. You know, I was like, what, I'll be a little tired? Fine, I'm good with that. (laughs) But I had gone back to work and every morning at 5.30, this place would open up for me so I could go do what I do. And I would get my radiation and move on. It was the end of 2003, because I was diagnosed in March of that year. And at the end, in December, I was good. Yeah. I was good. The tumor had gone. Wow. Was burnt out. Everything, my blood work was back. Now I was just bald and... You know, now rejuvenating. I was just starting a rejuvenating place. Right. So this called for something new Hmm. for me, spiritually or whatever. How do I stay connected to be grateful and give back? Hmm. And how do I rejuvenate? Yeah. You know, how do I grow like a a forest that has just been burnt out? How do I get the green back? Then I chose a path to stay connected. And I didn't know what that path was. My sister-in-law had called uh, Lori, and she had just been diagnosed with breast cancer. And I hadn't worn the shirt in a while mm-hmm. since chemo because it reminded me of chemo, so I wouldn't wear it anymore. I told her, I said, I'd really love for you to try wearing this shirt that I just did my chemo in. I said, it's cozy, it's warm, it's got a lot of good vibes, put a lot of positive energy in it when I was going through it, and it might just give you comfort on the road here. Mm-hmm. So she ended up going through her chemotherapy treatments, then eventually just had a, had a mastectomy as well. She prevailed. She is also today a cancer survivor. Yeah. And then after Lori, it was a weird run now for me because I didn't know how to give back, but this shirt seemed to feel like I could give back by giving a piece of me and my action and a positive energy to the next person. 
Right. That was going to be my message, much like a 12-step program or a life coach or anything else, was the positive idea that, well, I did okay through this, and I, I used this for a comfort blanket, and then Lori used it as a comfort blanket, and then, oddly enough, another close friend had been diagnosed with a breast cancer as well. Mm-hmm. So I went to Lori and I said, Lori, I need the shirt. I think we should pass it on to Kathy because Kathy could use it right now. She needs some hope. And Lori didn't want to give the shirt up because she thought it was so comfortable and cozy and all that. And I explained to her that if we pass it on, we might be able to keep what we have. Mm. So Lori was on Bullard. So I went and met with Kathy and she now was the person possessing this shirt with all these good vibes and energy from me and Lori in it of survival. Right. So Kathy had gone through the cancerous stuff and her breast cancer and ended up having a mastectomy as well. She was so grateful for the shirt because she thought what was coming back to me basically was the positiveness, the energy, the, the goodness that we all put in, she felt. Right. I thought, wow, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. After Kathy, we heard of this young guy, uh, Denny, who was going to Harvard, 20-something years old, 21 years old, and uh, had a stage four leukemia mm-hmm. and was connected to Lori. Mm-hmm. And I had a, and she said, kid, can we send him the shirt? Can we do the shirt with him? I said, well, I'd have to meet with him and really explain it to him because otherwise he's just going to think we're crazy. Right. I said, absolutely. So I met Denny in New York. We talked about the shirt, and he, Denny went and did 32 chemos in it. I mean, I think the shirt has had more chemos than anybody I know. But, uh, <laughs> it certainly has. <laughs> yeah, it has. So Denny had done all his chemotherapies in the shirt. Denny is now a Harvard grad. He's working in New York City. He's a cancer survivor as well. What I realized with Denny is that people need hope. Mm -hmm. I don't know what it is. You know, we can give you the diagnosis. We can they can tell you what chemicals they're going to pump in you and stuff like that. But I think when you go in with an army of love and hope behind you, of positive energy, there's some benefit in that into what you're going into. I think it leaves you or left me way open i mean i had no idea that this shirt would be doing what it was doing and going to the people it did right you just chose a shirt that was going to keep you warm and feel comforting that's right that's right and then i ended up doing this i was directing this show called parenthood and the showrunner had been doing a storyline on cancer for one of the characters in the show and he wanted to do a storyline based on the shirt about the positive energy of putting out there for people and passing on something from a survivor to a mm-hmm. person who's newly into it. So he called me up and he says, is there a shirt that's like that around or whatever? And nobody had been using the shirt at the time, at the moment. So I said, why don't we use the real one? Mm-hmm. So Monica Potter, who played Christine on the show, wore the shirt. I explained the story to her, and she was taken by it. And that storyline worked out, and I think it was in season three or four. After that, there was, I I believe Rory Mm -hmm. had uh, been diagnosed. And that was an interesting thing because it was like two people were diagnosed at the same time that we knew. 
And the night before, a friend of ours related to the show had been diagnosed with breast cancer. So I promised a shirt to her. And then Rory was the next day, and I went, oh, my God, I love Rory. And I found myself in the weirdest position. Right. Because not that I, I didn't believe that the shirt would save anybody. I just believed that it would comfort somebody. Mm-hmm. Since everybody doesn't do their chemo at the same time, really, it turned out that both women were able to wear the shirt. And what I would do is pick it up from one person, hand wash it, dry, give it to the next person mm-hmm. after their chemos. That shirt must be a little uh, tattered at this point. Actually, it's not. That's the funny thing. You know, uh, it's not tattered. Now, Rory had worn it, and Deb had worn it. And again, one of the things that I do when I was passing it on would send very positive texts. Mm -hmm. And they weren't long. They were just sending you strong healing vibes and positive thoughts. Don't forget to breathe. Mm. That was my message. (laughs) So my connection to them was that. And also asking them to be very visual while wearing the shirt or wearing the garment of the people before them. Mm. And just let that be their support system in the chemo chair. Oh, yes. All the invisible people gathered around. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I just met with somebody... um, Edie and her husband, Michael, Edie's, she was uh, diagnosed with breast cancer a while ago and had gone through the treatment and was doing fine. And then it reared up again. They found more. Mm. It was devastating to her recovery. Yeah, of course. To, to all of a sudden. And I just found out about this through somebody else who had worn the shirt that I made contact with. And he said to me, do you think she could use the shirt? Right. And it's like, I, you know, there's a fine line for me of, of being a quack practioner, you know, a doctor of whatever, that I have this healing shirt, or do I just have a strong message that keeps me from getting cancer? Ah, uh, yeah. And a reoccurrence for myself. Yeah. And I choose the latter. That's what it is. So I make very clear when somebody does endeavor this what it's truly about, and it's about the hope and strength of others that you're wrapping yourself up with. Yeah, I was going to ask you what the meaning of the story of the shirt is to you. I have a belief that if I give back in some form to the cancer community, somebody that is going through cancer however my life gets me to that person or event, as long as I can give back, I feel like I will survive it. Mm. I will survive it. I don't know if that's self-centered or what it is, but I do know that my heart, when I meet somebody, and my soul feels so connected, Mm -hmm. so connected, it's, it's, it's a pretty special feeling to see somebody grab this garment that has been through so many people and just love it and yeah. appreciate it like, like the initial cozy blanket I was talking about. Mm-hmm. It's that blanket. It's that security blanket you had as a child that nothing could get you because you had this blanket. Mm-hmm. 
And that's what that represents to me now. And I think going forward, that's what I'm kind of trying to promote in this cancer scene is the idea that survivors are able to pass on something that they feel really helped them survive to the next person and then that person to the next person. And it, what I learned is that it's almost the age-old story of history in our life that when you stop telling the story, things stop working. You know, whether it be in your family history or it be in history itself, when we stop talking about traditions and we stop talking about cultures and things like that, we're not, we're not aware of them anymore. Hmm. So in the cancer culture for me, I learned that the more I give back through the experience to somebody else on a more personal level, it's a blessing to them in the sense of they just want understanding. They don't necessarily want direction. They don't want who I went to. They don't want what I did. Sure. They just want understanding that they're going into something big. Right. And their whole life is going to change. And, 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 I think and they know that I got their back in that sense. And, and then it, it seems to have an ongoing meaning for you, too, in terms of your own wellness. It really does. It really does. I tried reading to children with pediatric cancer. And that the people who take care of children through cancer are phenomenal and strong. Everything I am not. Mm-hmm. So to find my avenue... I can't hang around the clinics. I can't do that. But to find my avenue, what's interesting to me is these things come to me without me putting any effort into it. Right. This awareness around me comes to me. And I follow that. Mm-hmm. I don't go out looking for it. I don't go, hey, I got this shirt that feels really good. It comes to me, and however it gets to me in whatever channel, if I can be part of it, I'm part of it. Have others told you what the shirt has meant to them? People who have worn the shirt? I know some people wanted to hang on to it. And (laughs) and lots of people have wanted to use it. People feel secure. They feel like they're, they're taken care of. They feel, again, it goes back to the old blankie Mm -hmm. from childhood. They feel they can endure what they're up for, what they're going into. Like, you know, when you sit in a a chair and you're taking liquids in the veins for eight hours or nine hours or however long, um, it leaves you a lot of room for thought because you aren't going anywhere. Yep. So why not approach it in a positive way? And why not approach it in a way that this medicine, this chemotherapy, this stuff, visualizing that this stuff is going to fix me. It's going to take care of me. Forget about the death, poison, all that stuff they talk about about chemo. But think about the, using the medicine as a positive entity to get better. And that's one thing a lot of people were telling me about that. When they would put the shirt on, they would, they would see their chemotherapy somewhat going through their bodies in their veins and kicking ass Mm, and helping them to survive. So there's a positive energy in all this. And that's what I've gotten most out of people is the positive energy of the experience. Well, that certainly sounds good (laughs) because, yes, most people are are feeling like I'm being poisoned or 
uh, you know, there's just a, a negative association with it. And so to think of it as, yes, it's going inside of me and it's going to help me to live longer. Well, there was this interesting thing came up. Somebody was using this shirt and another person very close to me, her father was diagnosed with uh, cancer. And uh, she said, can he use the shirt? And I said, well, I don't have it right now. And I love this guy, Myron. He's unbelievable. And sweetheart, him and his wife. And I thought, well, you know, I don't have it. Somebody's actually using it. But I said, let me talk to Myron. And, you know, I said, I think I'm going to start a new shirt. I'm going to start a new shirt out there. Mm -hmm. I had no idea what the hell I was doing. But I figured, if this is what I believe in this one shirt, it can't just be that one shirt. Right. That has the magic. The magic has to be something that's coming just from life. So I went to my closet. I found another cozy shirt. And oddly enough, made by the same brand, which is True Grit. Great name for this. Yeah, right? So Yeah, all the guys are like, oh, John Wayne. He would have worn this shirt. Uh, the, but the idea is that I, I called Myron and his, his wife, uh, Margie. I said, I want to come over. I have an idea. So I took over my new shirt. And I had wrapped it around my, I wore it over there and I wrapped it around my body. I said, look, man, I put some positive energy into this thing for you, you know. And Margie pulled me aside. She says, is that the real shirt? And I said, well, the other shirt is being used, but this will be the real shirt. We're going to start a new one. And Margie said, I think he wants the real shirt. I said, okay, I get it, but this is where we're going, (laughs) you know. So I put all this positive energy in the shirt. Again, nothing like super amazing lightning or sunshine or whatever. I just thought and talked to him and said, look, I'm, I'm passing on to you what I would have passed on to somebody else, but just in a different garment. Yep. So Myron had worn the shirt that I have given him through all his chemos and stuff, and he was getting stronger and stronger and feeling really good about his life and about the shirt. He wore it all the time. And then uh, he was done. And... I was in New York at the time, and a friend of mine who's a professor at Syracuse had just been diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Mm -hmm. And I thought to myself, oh, my God, you know, what do you do with this? You know, I got two shirts out there that are busy, but Myron's done. Right. And Keith had heard that I'd, I'd gone through the same thing. So I texted him. I said, look, man, I said, you know, I have this friend that has this kind of cool shirt that he's passing around with strength and hope in it and love. We'd love to send it to you. So I called Myron and Myron sent it to Keith in New York. And it all had Myron's vibes in it, basically, of survival and strength and hope that, you know, I just connected him with. Keith wore that shirt and Keith wore it through all his treatments. And Keith is a cancer survivor today as well. So it's interesting to me. That's where it kind of all came very profound to me about what is it with the shirt. It's a group of people that are bringing strength to somebody who has no idea how to deal with what they've been diagnosed with. Mm. Yeah. And, I, and I can't think of anything more powerful than that. So you have a shirt that is like, or a garment that's been transferred through cancer survivors and people who've been through it. You have uh, oncologists that is completely understanding of today's medicines and what to attack it with and you have family and i think those three entities are unbelievably powerful together yeah and you have you really connecting this whole group together 
Yeah. That's and your if, role. if I was running, uh, you might say, like uh, an experiment over the last 14 years, I would have to say that this is phenomenal to be able to pass off in a community of wellness and cancer people. I think it's that extra edge that helps you get through it and gives you hope that you're going to make it through it. So I want to wrap up with having you think about what would you say to someone who's going into treatment about what helped you to get through it and the time after treatment? You know, everything is a different case, a different stage. You don't know where somebody's at in the level of their cancers. When my mom got cancer, it was too late. It was all through her body, and she asked me about the shirt I said, you know, I said, I'll tell you what, why don't you wear it? I said, all I can offer you is this shirt and the experience, strength, and hope that I went through before you, and I can walk you through all this stuff. I think it's that, find that Eskimo, find that person who will approach you in a loving, unconditional, judgment way of how you're dealing with your cancer, number one. Find that life coach, that person that is going to give you the strength Hmm. to get through the process. Because a process can be scary, it can be lonely, so many side effects can happen, things that you're unaware of. So find that person who can help you identify what's going on with you during the process. Because that is very helpful. As for me, on, on the outside of it, you know, I mean, I got healthy. I did all the right things. I ate all the right diet stuff and all that. And then one day I had a hot dog again and a Diet Coke and a whatever, candy, chocolate. You know, my life is kind of changed back into the junk food and the stuff that I was eating before I got sick, the stuff I enjoyed. But I try to stay somewhat conscious of my diet. Mm-hmm. But I have to say, I'm out there living my life to the best of my ability on a daily basis without thinking about cancer and without thinking about what I went through. I think that may be a gift from massive chemotherapy that affected my memory. Or it might be a gift through the idea that I was able to let go and be active in the amounts I can be active and not daily dwell on it. So I have no fear of cancer coming back. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that it it couldn't come back. It certainly could. But I don't believe right now, this portion of my life, that it's coming back. I'm, I, I've gotten sick early on through after, because I think that's the most fearful is when you're clean. And then in the first five years, if you get a flu, you get this, you get that, you go, oh, my God, it's back. Right. And I've had those moments. But once I've gotten past all that, I realize that I'm here for a reason. I'm not always sure what that reason is, but as long as I can connect with somebody going through it, mm-hmm. that's that's the end of my story. It's like I just keep going. I just keep moving through it. When I met Edie and Michael this last couple of days, and Edie is now wearing the shirt, and I told her the story, and we I don't know them. I don't know who they are. They were connected to me. Sweetest couple. And I, I saw it in her eyes. You know, I saw, I saw my, my experience in her eyes. Mm. And I knew that she was the right person to all of a sudden be using this shirt. 
Yeah. But I couldn't have predicted it. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming in and for telling me about your experience and the wonderful story of the shirt. Oh, my really, pleasure. Really my appreciate pleasure. it. Thanks. That's it for today's episode. We'd love to hear from you to find out why you listened and what you like about the Real Cancer Podcast. Please leave a review on iTunes and email your feedback to realcancerpodcast at gmail.com. If you haven't yet, please subscribe to Real Cancer on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Follow Real Cancer on Twitter at Real Cancer Pod. Until next time, I'm Diane McDaniel. <laughs>